0: Radio Show, Your home for Car Talk, covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show.
1: Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends. Welcome back to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. Yo. We are coming to you from Driven Radio World Headquarters. <laughs> and I'm not telling you where it is. <laughs> Uh, We we missed a week last week because lots of things were going on. I was at uh, Amelia Island doing all kinds of cool stuff at R.M., Uh, Mark was continuing being sicky, or at least (laughs) under sicky watch, uh, (laughs) apparently your wife got COVID right after we got over it.
0: My wife got COVID. I didn't somehow, and I don't know how. And she's still getting over it. It's like we're into week three now, but uh, we still consider ourselves lucky.
1: So, You know, for all the bad things they say about COVID, I did lose 12 pounds, and I told Rhonda last night if I could take (laughs) off another 20, I'd give her another spin. (laughs) I learned to cough it off. (laughs) Yeah, well, when your face turns red, your eyes cross and you're about to fall out of the chair <laughs> that coughing seems a little overrated doesn't it our special guests this week are joseph w mock and chris griebling <laughs> some bitches should come with a phrase book you guys you're in slytherin <laughs> yeah. aren't you we'll give this one more again our special guests this week are Joseph W. Mock and Chris Gribling of Advanced Catalytic, or ACAC, Global. Joe is an experienced racer, having turned wheels in anger at Road Atlanta, Lime Rock Park, and even the mecca of all things fast, Bonneville Salt Flats. Closest I ever got was driving by my Stingray on the way home. <laughs> Chris is a true enthusiast, too, having started young working in his family's Las Vegas specialty car business, buying, restoring, and selling classic cars. Chris also worked for Drake Automotive Group, the largest classic Mustang restoration parts manufacturer, and a partner with Shelby American and Shelby Performance Parts. These guys are both the real deal. Gentlemen, welcome to Driven Radio. Thank you. you? Joe, I want to start with you. You've owned... God, the list of stuff you've owned. You've owned and raced a number of exciting cars in your lifetime, including multiple Concours d'Elegance winners. Tell us about some of the stuff you've owned. Uh, How did you come? You've had some such extraordinary stuff. How did you get into this? I was just very fortunate to meet uh, a fellow by the name of Al
2: Allen, who was um, joined at the hip with Carlos Keaty, the famous alpha engineer. Al um, saw me driving and pulled me over and said, you're doing it all wrong. Move <laughs> over. Let me show you how to drive a stick shift car. And he did. And as a result of that, I got to race uh, Morgans, TR4s, Jaguars, uh, a Daimler even. Oh, wow. Uh, an awful lot of Lolas, a number of Ferraris, a Maserati, an Asta Maserati. Awful, awful lot of great iron.
1: He's turned wheels in everything under the sun that's cool. I except I didn't hear him say Corvette in there, but we'll let it pass. We'll, we'll let, let it slide. Pass.
2: <laughs> I have never driven a Corvette. I can I've fix that. I can fix it. Shelby <laughs> Americans, uh, Ford uh, 260 Cobras, 289s, uh, which is a wonderful car, by the way. The 289 is just the best of all worlds uh the 427 side oiler cobras they were just uh, an awful lot of power for an awful little chassis yes and um the 350 gtr shelby's those were uh people don't appreciate how really different they were and how potent a piece of equipment shelby put out there
0: what would you say was the biggest difference you know, when when you say that uh, people wouldn't understand
2: how different they were, what is it that made them so different? They really got up and ran. And um, in a corner, the car could be made to rotate. It was controllable. It was uh, a very uh, competitive car. You mentioned Corvettes. You ran uh, fender to fender with an awful lot of Corvettes. It ran very well in comparison with a Ferrari 275 GTBC. It was uh, a wonderful, wonderful car.
1: And I can't touch one. I'm so upset.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you ran it both. well. It's shocking. See how damn expensive
1: they are nowadays. Oh, I know! I know! It, uh, one of the cars I reviewed down at RM last week was a, a little green slab side 289 with a tan interior and, and chrome wires and I was having to work not to drool on it. It was a gorgeous little car and I you know, as, as much of a Corvette fiend as I am, I'd love to have a 289 Cobra or even a 289 Replica, but even those are expensive now. They're
2: They're just Just a nice, nice piece of equipment.
1: Yeah, undoubtedly. When you ran at Bonneville, first of all, what were you driving, and how fast did you go? When I read this, it was quite impressive and also a little bit like, God, that's got to be a world away from the fastest I've ever gone on anything.
2: I ran at Bonneville with the Ferrari uh, 550. We ran uh, 218.133. And the factory car ran uh, 189,
1: I believe. What mods did you do to your car to get to 218? It's got to be a laundry list.
2: No, uh, very little. We stripped it out. We had uh, special wheels that were narrower and special tires to take the speed, inserted the roll bar and general safety equipment, um, stripped out all the interior the exhaust system replaced it with a um, catalytic converter, one of ours, and uh just went and went fantastic. Jim Busby, who's an old time racer, uh prepared the car
1: and did the
2: entire build
1: for us. Mark was really hoping you'd say you put <laughs> Kragers on it. <laughs> I wrote it
0: down. I wasn't gonna say it out loud, but like, come on, man.
1: You're putting all that well, good
0: stuff on it, you gotta put Krager's on it. Come on. <laughs>
1: We considered that, of course, but then decided against it. Mark put Kragers on his barbecue grill. So. Oh, you damn
0: right I did. <laughs> you, you, you got to <laughs> forgive him. Fastest burger in town. <laughs> what, what was the difference?
2: You're, you're a lot more stylish than I am.
0: <laughs> that's, just, that's one word uh, for it. <laughs> stylish. I think that's French for something else. <laughs> I'm a tragedy waiting to shine.
1: Uh-huh. What was different about running at Bonneville uh, than you thought it would be, and what was uh, the biggest surprise for you?
2: The amount of heat. When you're there, you have an eight-mile flat that you can run on before you pull the parachute, and uh, it's a very odd situation. It is so white, the reflection when you're running you see the crack in the mountain or the pass on your left-hand side. And I assumed that the wind would come across the course at that distance is 2.4. Instead of that, the wind seemed to come from the other side so that I was right about 200 miles an hour at that time. And the car, instead of moving to the right like I thought it would, It, like, moved a complete lane, or the equivalent thereof, to the left. And it was one of those situations where I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, be calm, be calm, don't overreact, don't twitch the wheel anywhere. It's going to straighten out and she'll just run. And she did. I mean, the car was phenomenal. Busby did a great job.
1: Very, very cool. Okay, Chris, you've been out of the crosshairs long enough. We're going to get to you now. You grew up in your family's restoration and specialty car business. How old were you when you started working there? And what car did you cut your teeth on? What was the first thing you turned a wrench on?
3: Um, well, you know, I guess uh, legally, to prevent any backlash on child labor laws. No, nah, we don't do uh, I'd that. Say it was, uh, uh, I'd say in, it was in high school, my senior year. But the reality is, it was much, for, much, much prior to that. Uh, you know, and and you know that work really was more like grunt work, right? Trash, sweep the floors. Oh, I know. You, so. you know, polish, right? Get out there and clean, wash some cars. Yep. You know, and then it obviously it evolved, right? You just start kind of picking up, you know, the enthusiasm and wanting to get into it and uh as far as cutting teeth you know at the time um we still kind of had a, a restoration side of the business that was that was mustang dedicated so it, you know it was a lot with you know helping my uncle uh you know replace listing wire and you know upholstery sets and you know you know breaking hog rings off you know kind of getting into it so it was really always the mustang that kind of was, it, it, it was kind of, I call it the bread and butter, right? I mean, a million 65 Mustangs produced, you know, that was always kind of like the the constant, right? There was always a Mustang around and there was always Mustang work, you know, and then you, you evolve into the other platforms, Camaro, Corvette, Bel Air, you know, Thunderbirds, you know, those, those more popular, uh, you know, makes and models, but you know yeah it was mustang that was always kind of the, the initial focus
1: you worked there for over a decade what prompted yeah. you to leave your family business and go work for drake automotive
3: well so drake automotive was uh, a company, you know, or a, a vendor of ours obviously right you know doing mustangs all the time and you know they had um, moved out to henderson right which is you know just outside of las vegas Um, and I was always going out there, you know, picking up will call orders and, you know, I kind of started looking around and saying, man, you know, I wonder if there's an opportunity here. And then, you know, also too, I, you know, started to kind of come to that realization where it's like, you know, I think I'm kind of tired of, you know, cracked hands, you know, dipped in oil, smelling like gasoline and car exhaust every day and, uh, you know i i walked in and you know i just said hey you guys potentially have some opportunity here you know for for me uh, and the director of operations at the time was like uh hold on a second and then the next thing you know i'm getting uh, an interview by the or you know taken around by the cfo and he's you know telling me about the benefits and you know all this other stuff and i was like i this sounds like I you're hired it. What was that
1: this sounds like you're hired
3: yeah. Kind of, so I, I mean, that's I literally walked out parts in hand, and I go, did I just have a job interview? I mean, I'm in, I'm in, you know, stained shorts and a, a, you know, a, a, you know, crappy polo, right? And just you know, kind of like picking up car parts, and I, yeah, it just kind of blew me away. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I went back, and you know, my uncle does it. You know, it's not like they were heavily, heavily relying upon everything I did. You know, it's a still a family business, and there's always something to be done, but uh you know it just made it just made sense for me professionally you sure. know it's, the 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 business wasn't going to become this you know uh, massive car dealership you know where we're expanding to 50 locations i mean it's classic special interest you know resto and 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 uh, uh buy sell so it's just it just was a natural progression
1: so you wore a lot of different hats over your time at drake automotive Real quickly, tell everyone all the stuff you did.
3: <laughs> um, well, I said, so I started asking what my job description was, and they said, we, didn't, we don't know, uh, but we just <laughs> want you to come in. So I just said, well, I guess, I guess what I should do is maybe just learn their computer system, right? Uh, first and foremost. And then, you know, that evolved into, hey, we want you to do, uh, take a sales position and ho- cover in wholesale accounts. We need help. Sure. And then I was helping the purchasing uh, uh, agent at the time also uh, in tandem, you know, just keeping up with the volume. So I kind of learned that aspect of it. Uh, And then we formed Shelby Performance Parts and then that got kind of hot and heavy. So then I was doing helping the purchasing agent, uh, taking care of wholesale accounts and doing retail side of Shelby Performance Parts. You know, uh mainly kind of like this call it CSR sales, you know, people taking care of that, doing shows. Uh and then finally I was like, Yeah, this is a lot and we need help in purchasing. And it just it was literally, well, who wants to do it? And I raised my hand. So then I <laughs> I got thrown into the purchasing department, uh, which, you know, uh I was green as you can imagine. So I had to learn that whole dynamic. Uh and I, that progressed into kind of running the purchasing department, um, you know, and also helping out kind of some of the operations aspect, helping out the shipping department in some aspects, the manufacturing department in some aspects. I'm not really quite sure why I found myself greasing chains on some of the die cutters, <laughs> uh, but I did that too. Uh, so some machine maintenance, um, and then, kind of, you know, again, another came to a point where they are like, "Hey, we really need help back in sales." And and we had our, we had already kind of parted ways with Shelby Performance Parts, uh, so we were more focused on building some homegrown brands, some additional brands. So I moved back into sales uh, for you know a few years, and you know, focused on some of the the larger accounts and growing those those customers, right, through SKU saturation, new product, and et cetera. Um, and then really just kind of kept progressing, you know, sales, sales manager, director of sales, and then it was director of sales and marketing because we needed, you know, marketing help. And that was uh, that was more not necessarily voluntary, but vol- voluntold. <laughs> you know, to kind of help, help there, and then um, I was in the navy. You know, I know how that works. Yeah, and so <laughs> so then you know that morphed into uh, hey, you know, can you also help supply chain? So then I became director of sales, marketing, and supply chain. And I went, at what point am I just running this place? No, it, and that was not my my focus. Right, our CEO was. Uh, just absolutely phenomenal. And, and one individual that I I, I really look up to uh, and admire because, um, oddly enough, he came from Shelby. So uh, a, a gentleman that I was also familiar with, right? Uh, I mean, Las Vegas is a small town uh, at the end of the day. So, uh, again, you know, it just it morphed into just this, this continuum of progression that, you know, I... Deeply valued, and uh, I learned a lot. This is Chris's
1: long-winded way of saying: when he got up in the morning, he put on roller skates,
3: yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) so he could go from one place to another nonstop.
3: I was thinking about like a razor scooter (laughs) or something.
1: You know, most of us only think about catalytic converters when we hear about them or being stolen or we have them stolen. Thanks, all you meth-head idiots. Uh, Joe, can you explain a little bit more to the unfamiliar what a catalytic converter does and how it does it?
2: Very broadly, a catalytic converter converts the uh, exhaust emissions to uh, CO2 or other non-harmful emissions and it does it when the gases uh, developed by the uh, internal combustion engine pass over uh, chemicals that are uh, wash coated on to the um, ceramic or in our case the metallic uh, parts that make up the monolith and thus clean the exhaust
1: so What spurred you to form ACAT Global in 2010? Uh, Tell us about the technology and how it was developed.
2: The technology was developed by General Motors Delphi, and they had worked on it for approximately 10 years and came up with the um, monolith construction. Our monolith construction is like no other. It's uh, made up of very thin pieces of stainless steel that are welded together like you would do a lasagna. And when the gases pass over it, the wash coating that's on the stainless steel converts the emissions. No other company uses welding. They use uh, brazing paste if they're doing a metallic, and it's wound um, construction so that it's like you have a handful of soda straws and the gas is passed through the soda straws. Oh, okay. This is true whether it's metallic or whether it's ceramic. And the great uh, volume of catalytic converters are made out of ceramic. The problem there is when you drive over potholes or uh, curbs, if you cut the apex a little short, it breaks up the um, ceramic cracks it and the monolith destroys and there goes your emissions uh, conversion but with ours it holds up to uh, virtually anything and everything
0: so basically it's the other versions not yours but the other ones are glass packs that haven't reached full potential yet <laughs> Ooh. that's pretty damn cool so by the time you're done there
1: it has got his my ladies i'm 16 again awesome glass packs and craggers this is the limit of mark's automotive creativity mickey Thompson's well, too. don't forget those. you guys are American. well i
3: always i always tell joe uh you know the funny thing is right it, so the technology was developed right around 1975 right so I say, you know, here we are with a, a, a new modern technology, right? And, you know, everybody else is still selling eight tracks. You know, we're out here selling uh, streaming technology, right? That's the kind of the, the way I compare it. You know, it's like we don't even have CDs in cars anymore for crying out loud. You know, so why are we still using this old technology? You know, everybody, you know, everybody's always saying, hey, you know, I got the Pandora app and it connects to my car. Uh, you know that should be the level right, or the uh, equal uh, technology that's being put on these newer cars, but it's not. It's still just 1975 technology. Well, what's the expected lifespan exactly. on your version of them? <laughs> You're, you've got these
0: new versions that are so much stronger. They're welded together, and it sounds like uh, there's probably more uh, adhesion since it's bonding to a metal surface rather than a ceramic. So, uh, you know, what are we looking at lifespan?
2: Oh, It's much longer than ceramic, but. The, I was really hoping for much o- longer
1: than eight tracks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so are, so are most customers, I guess, and they, <laughs> they certainly are.
0: It was iron oxide but on that one. No
2: one has done, there has not been anything new in catalytic converters since they were initially introduced, except for ours. And if you take and put our catalytic converter on your car, just cut off the one that's on there, you'll get up to three and a half more miles per gallon of oh, gas. Oh, hell,
1: send me one. Are you serious? <laughs> and send me better
2: one. emissions. But here's something that you're going to like up to 20% more horsepower. humming, humming my, a... my
1: address is 134.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep you send it over and we'll get you one.
1: Fantastic. Uh, I've got an F-150 with a supercharger on it that just (laughs) drinks gas like it's going out of style.
2: Yep. And you see, that's what's hard to accept, that our product gives a benefit that is so great to the American public. Let's say, you know, if you save any gas, it's a blessing. But the lowest test results we've received back was one and a half more miles per gallon of gas
1: going the exterior
2: shell of our cat is 400 degrees less than your standard cat oh wow wow
3: we utilize a special uh 3m uh, call it insulation or a wrap around the right right or call it substrate core uh, that, that really kind of gives it that uh, ability to maintain a cooler shell temperature. Um, um, and it does, yes, it flows better, right? So you, you are getting better flow, but it's really uh, that thermal wrap uh, that's kind of a, another key ingredient to some of the, you know, benefits that you, that you receive uh, in, and again, that cooler shell.
2: Nice. And to give you an idea on performance, we set the world land speed record on a Honda motorcycle. Using just our cat, we t- didn't do anything different, cut out the Honda cat, inserted our cat, got the world land speed record. Took the Ferrari took their cats off, put our cats in, ran it, and got the world land speed record. The thing works fantastically.
1: So considering all of that, uh, Chris, do you have any difficulty convincing shops and customers that they need to use your cats or have them on hand
3: you know the uh the nature of the industry or the market is you know it's it's so accustomed to that what we call ceramic substrate right again everybody else is selling pretty much the same thing right it's a straight channel brick inside you know whatever different versions of, you know, stainless or, or, you know, uh, branding logos, you know, everything that they kind of do to kind of sell their products. But again, it's the same thing in the box, you know, it works the same way, you know, the, the, you know, if you were to look at like a smoke demonstration, right. You see a straight channel ceramic call it substrate or monolith, right. And when the gases flow through it, they're really only making contact, Say it's like a, a four-inch, you know, diameter, uh, or kind of like cylindrical substrate. It's only making contact with like thirty-five percent, right? And that's just because that's the way that the gases are coming in. That's the way the gases are exiting. So those gases don't really mix throughout those other those that other uh, portion of the substrate. Versus our the way ours are engineered with what we call a herringbone pattern, right? When the gas comes in, it forces those ex- the exhaust gases to mix uh, throughout the entirety of that substrate, and that's where you see these improved benefits of better flow, reduced back pressure, right, which give you the inherent benefits. So when we explain that to guys, in some instances, they're like, uh, "I don't know," you know. But we'll give it to some guys, right, to kind of say, "Proofs in the pudding." They put it on, and they go. Uh, sign me up because it is a night and day difference, uh, and and obviously too, it's you know we we control the manufacturing processes in-house. in house. It made in USA in our plant in Charlevoix, Michigan. You know we we the only thing we don't really do and it, it really because not can is is the the wash coat right because that's a special sauce developed by the OEM. Uh, uh wash coat facilities that we use and everything is is all OEM materials high grade you know stainless etc we don't cheap out in any way you know we we again we our loads are generally more than most of the other ones found you know out on the market um and and again we're able to achieve a cost competitive price point because we control it. you know uh our supply chains great because we control it um but Again, you know, when we when we put all these benefits out there, it's, it's, it, there's so much, right? There's so many positivities. It does kind of seem like snake oil. I get it. You know, at first I was kind of hesitant, like, come on, really? But, you know, when you start to really get into it and guys start to use, you know, and, and sell and install and they don't get that customer coming back saying, hey, you installed this new catalytic converter, like a competitor's version, and my engine lights back on which is a regular occurrence but you install one of ours and you're not going to have that right so you're going to have that customer satisfaction too and that's why that's where we, we we find ourselves winning more times than not versus you know again the, the other standard you know versions that are on the market
1: so it's a proprietary technology nobody else has this
3: yeah the uh you know the way it's constructed the the way it flows again is all developed by general motors and it, it even boils down to, you know, the way that the substrate is actually welded. You know, um, to Joe's point, nobody else has that capability. There has been a couple of guys that tried, but they can't replicate it. And, you know, that's part of the proprietary sauce. You know, the when we put these foil layers together, they get struck by a bolt of lightning, right? It's called uh, capacitive discharge. So every area that's making contact with one another on the layers, it physically gets welded together. And that's what gives us structural rigidity. uh, You know, and then we obviously encapsulate that in some special, you know, rings to kind of, again, give it additional integrity. And then it goes through the, you know, the swaging process inside the can and the CNC forming. So it's the structure itself is... It's far superior than than again most of the ones you're going to find on the market, and it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really have as much degradation because the th- you know for the thermal uh, expansion it's not physically occurring on the substrate like it, like you find in those ceramic substrates.
1: And you're saying you do this at a price point that's competitive with original equipment? Original equipment, yeah, and and the upside is it's readily available
3: versus, you know, some of these, the OEMs where I think the last time I heard most guys say, you know, I had to wait, you know, three months just to even, you know, get one, you know? So you think about it and you're like, well, I don't, you know, that's great. I got one that works better and (laughs) it's readily available. So should have called us.
1: Is this 50 state compliant?
3: Uh, We have, uh, we built out the compliances for uh, all the markets. Uh, to meet and achieve, yes, those, the, the compliances necessary to be 50 state legal.
1: Why don't OEM manufacturers come to you?
3: That's
2: the magic question.
3: <laughs> We've had conversations. We've had conversations, but, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, I think sometimes, I, I think Joe said it best. He, he had a conversation with some, some engineers um, at, you know, GM, and they asked where the technology was developed. And, Joe, I think, would you tell
2: them? Well, with the with the guys from Ford Motor Company, it was, well, it, they said, well, we know what you have. You got it from GM. Because it wasn't designed here, we don't see using it.
1: Did you, sell, and, did uh, you tell them the wow. same thing with their 10-speed transmission they share with GM?
2: <laughs> well, I told them basically, you know, I don't give a damn what you tell anybody. You can tell them you invented it, you perfected it, you found it whatever, why hold the benefits back from the public? Just think in L.A. of how much pollution would be cut back if they were saving a mile per gallon, Yeah, increasing two miles. I mean, it's
3: ridiculous. The good thing about a catalytic converter is it's recyclable. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and you guys... Uh, you mentioned a minute ago uh, swapping out cats on a Honda and setting the land speed record. So obviously you make products for more than just cars. In fact, you supply catalytic converters to Keanu Reeves arch motorcycle company. Uh, what That's other, perfect. what other applications does ACAT global have?
2: We do primarily uh, lawnmowers, chainsaws, uh, motorcycles, side by sides. Uh, off, off-road applications, yeah. uh, motorboats, uh, automobiles, trucks. Uh, it's adaptable to uh, any and all emissions, wood-burning stoves,
1: coal stacks, uh, industrial
2: applications. Oh wow. uh, uh cold-burning smokestacks.
1: The list goes on. Have you sold much of that for the industrial applications? Not as yet. We're just really getting going with that. It sounds like China would be your biggest market. I read an article today of
0: the the 50
1: most polluted cities in the world, and fully two-thirds of them were in China.
2: Yeah. Is Scott Black listening?
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's taking notes. Get your ass over there and sell some cash for me. (laughs) Here, we'll get you a phrase book and a Rosetta Stone. You'll be all right. (laughs) You'll be all right. You're on your way. All right, guys. It sounds like a fascinating product. But it's really cool. It's it's even a little bit sexy. I'm uh, I'm really impressed. Now, this is the last question we give everybody. Each of you gets to answer this one. Uh, we're gonna go with Chris first. Chris, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car?
3: Well, it's it's a bit hard for me to don't isolate. Worry, some don't of worry, your parents aren't antics. listening. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, my dad listens. There's a reason I never answer that question.
3: <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, you know, growing up right in, in, in a classic car called a dealership restoration shop, you know, you, you tend to kind of, um, have some experiences, right. That you probably shouldn't have been doing, you know, uh, one of them in particular, and I, I will say I got kind of two really dumb ones, but this one was kind of more or less like just a dumb moment. Uh, it was a 49, Cadillac Sedanet, black on black, lacquer paint that's flawless, you know, just every molding is present and perfect, oh, no. and I, you know, I went to go pull it out to kind of, you know, take a cool photo of myself, and uh, I scraped one of the driver's side fender moldings and panel uh, on on the side of the, the brick and the exit, <sighs> and the downside of that wasn't just the fact that I damaged the car, right? It was the fact that the owner was a 6465 <laughs> bouncer at a strip club, tattooed from neck to wrist on both arms and just a gigantic human being. And I just, I immediately, the pucker factor was, it's through the roof. Sounds oh, like a you know, forgiving guy. guy yeah. just, <laughs> but your he's going to see this and he's just going to fold me in half. Right. And, you know, I'm not tiny, but I'm not the biggest guy. And definitely not like he was. So I immediately went into panic mode and I reached out to some contacts and Found a bucket of lacquer at sitting on a Napa store shelf that I had to pay a premium for, believe it or not, you know, and had it all dialed in. It ended up costing like, which was a lot, $2,400, but it, it wasn't too much. It was the molding cost me 1800 by itself. And it Moldy. was, yeah. Yeah, beat, uh, I tried to fix it. It wasn't repairable. Beats a back brace.
0: Yeah, I was about to say yeah. Yeah, therapy for the next fifteen <laughs> <Yeah>. years.
3: <laughs> and so I end up, I end up getting it fixed. Couldn't even tell, to be honest with you. Couldn't even tell. And you know, uh, I just I came clean to the guy after I fixed it. You know, tail between legs. Uh, you know, it was it was dumb. And the second is uh, I was showing a customer a sixty-five Cobra. And it just, it just had like a, you know, 88 Fox, you know, a uh, five liter in it and a four link, but it was a really, really clean job. And uh, I'm showing them the engine compartment and I'm like, yeah, let's go for a ride. Start, you know, pin it, you know, right. Got it up to, you know, 45, right. Let's things jump up to 45 real quick um, for guys. i throwing second gear, throw second gear, break sideways, forgot to put the latches on for the hood and that hood shot off. It went 30 feet in the air, and, you know, at the time, right, landed what I thought was like a quarter mile away, and I slammed the brakes, and I went, oh, no, this is terrible. <laughs> the, I mean, the hood was It scattered. was stolen. Yeah, I, I don't know, who did that. I don't know it was, where like, it went. same deal. You just think, you go, what a stupid move, you know, and, and then you just you come back and pick up the pieces, and you rebuild, right?
1: All right, Joe, Uh, now is your time to shine. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car?
2: Well, I'll tell you. The thing that stands out in my mind is during the Tour Auto, which is the modern-day equivalent of the Tour de France five-day event, I was in a very good position. We ran, and we were in first place at the end of the first half a day. And uh, the second day in the night, that we were coming on a check station and I noticed that the Porsche team was in front of us. And so I said to my navigator, I said, I can take those sons of bitches. <laughs> and I went to the right, into the culvert, bounced down into the culvert at well over, well over 90 miles an hour. Oh, oh, wow. Bounced out of the culvert, past the entire Porsche group. The only problem was they had been slowing for the checkpoint, which was approximately there. Uh, the French officials were less than ecstatic with me for that maneuver. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it was a great move. It accomplished the point, but it, it also had some dire consequences
1: for it. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> whole lot of unimpressed people out there.
0: <laughs> and when the French yeah, are angry, yeah. they get petty, too. <laughs>
2: yeah. they, I'll tell you, they were wonderful. They've always have been to me. I've done an awful lot of racing in France. And at Montre, on the high banks, It's uh, until you experience that, it's like you're in a bowl and you're coming around and the centrifugal uh, force holds you up. So that if you were to drop a penny out or drop anything across and down through the window, it would fall probably sixty feet before it finally, you know, hit the ground. It's Oh wow. Montre is an amazing experience.
1: Wow. <laughs> Gentlemen, <laughs> thank you both. We have been speaking with Joe W. Mock and Chris Gribling of ACAT cat Global. Please guys take a minute and tell us where we can find you online and on social media.
3: Uh, yeah you can find us uh, you can find more information and see what uh cats we have available at catglobal.com. Uh, social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, pretty much any platform, right? Insta, Facebook, etc. So thank
1: thanks. you guys very much. Thank you. Good fun. Thanks, everyone. I think we're going to have to have Joe back just to talk about all the crap he's done outside of his company. There are so many more stories lurking in there just waiting. Well, and I'm guessing that Chris didn't give us the best, most embarrassing story with cars. Just the one that's socially palatable.
0: Yeah, the one that he'll get the least in trouble for. Uh, You did what?
1: (laughs) He, he looks like he's probably in his thirties or forties, and yeah. uh, I, I'm quite sure the family that still run that shop say, "What the hell did you do?" Yeah,
0: there's a big brother out there somewhere going, "I can still, I can still put you down."
1: I spent two weeks fixing that. <laughs> that was you. Yeah, I, I got a few of those. Uh, I'm not telling anybody. Thanks so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show. And on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. You can also listen to us everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Mr. Mark Groves. Yep. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio.